salvaged, and a lifeboat and a French naval helicopter were sent on a rescue mission. Despite the fact that the launch was listing badly and taking on water, the captain refused help and tried making a run for it. He clearly had something to hide. The helicopter tracked the crippled boat for 90 minutes as it headed for the safety of international waters, but eventually had to fly back to base for fuel. Under normal circumstances, a naval patrol would have intercepted the launch by this time, stopping it by force if necessary, but the awful conditions had left other boats in distress and resources were stretched to the limit. As a last resort, the Coast Guard was asked to track the stricken launch on radar, but tracking a small boat through a stormy sea is close to impossible and the Coast Guard put out a radio request, asking other ships to report sightings of a crippled white launch. Just after midnight, the captain of a container ship radioed in to say that she had passed the vessel matching the description. It appeared dangerously close to sinking and was making a desperate attempt to reach the English coast. With nobody available to intercept the boat at sea, police, customs and coast guard units along a ten-mile stretch of the coast were told to head for the seafront and search for the stricken motor launch. George Savage sounded put out as his dripping colleague leaned inside the car. Bloody hell, are you sure? Typical George, Yvette thought. He was clearly annoyed that his peaceful night had been spoiled. There's a boat tied up at the end of the jetty. It fits the descriptions and it's listing badly. Could just be moored there, George said thoughtfully as he dragged a finger over his stubble. There are lights on inside, George. I think it's the one. I mean, you'd have to be desperate to moor a boat outside of a harbour in this weather. We'd better wait here. I'll, I'll call for backup. This pushed Yvette over the edge. For all we know, they've only just tied up, she screamed. The bad guys could be out there right now. Smugglers carry guns, Sugar Plum. We don't know what we're up against. Sugar Plum. I'm sick of you, Yvette yelled as she banged her hand on the top of the car. I tell you what, George, you sit on that giant arse of yours and wait for backup. I'm going to walk up there and try doing my job. Temper, temper, George grinned as he reached for the radio mic. I've been at this game a lot longer than you. Yvette knew she'd only get madder if she stood around listening to another lecture on the benefits of thirty years' experience. She flicked the torch on and set off briskly down the promenade towards the steel jetty. The rusting structure went fifty metres out to sea and was less than three paces wide, except at the head, where it widened out to enable a ship to come alongside. The jetty had been built decades earlier to accommodate pleasure cruisers, but nowadays it only served anglers and a few brave swimmers who used it as a diving platform. Despite the foul weather and the sheets of water crashing over the jetty, the lampposts that ran its length were working, and Yvette had a decent view of the boat. It appeared to have been hurriedly lashed to a single mooring point. The crew had scarpered without even turning off the lights, leaving the raging water free to slowly wreck the launch. The windows along one side were shattered, and the rear jutted out of the water as if the bow was flooded. Only the length of rope lashing it to the jetty kept it above the water. Part of Yvette wanted to encounter the crew and make her first arrest, but her sensible side was relieved to find the baddies long gone. And then she heard a scream. Yvette thought she was imagining it, but the noise had coincided with a particularly fierce wave engulfing the head of the jetty. She heard the high-pitched noise again when the water cleared away. Hello! she yelled. Is anybody out there? A gust of wind ruined her chance of hearing any response, but a shout had apparently reached an audience. Yvette sighted a skinny figure with her arms wrapped around a lamppost. It looked like a child, no more than twelve years old. Holy father, Yvette said to herself, panicking as she fumbled for a radio. George, are you out there? There's a young girl at the end of the jetty. She's holding on to the railings for dear life, too scared to move. Coming down, George shouted. Even he couldn't ignore a stricken child. But Yvette couldn't imagine her partner being of much help. What about our backup, she asked. Negative, George said. At least don't hold your breath. 
There's tiles coming off houses, trees down in the road, and the nearest cop car is dealing with a major accident on the A27. Articulated lorry turned over by the gale. Serious injuries. Roger that, Yvette said. I'll have to go get the kid myself. Keep your head on your shoulders and wait till I get there, George said. That's a direct order. But despite 30 years in the service of Her Majesty, George had never been promoted and had no authority over his partner. Yvette was drenched and knew she ought to be shivering, but the tension made her face burn. She wrung her hands as she watched the raging tide, trying to pick a moment to run onto the jetty. She imagined that it might be like the video game she played with her young nephew, hoping for some magical pattern that would allow her to run along the jetty, grab the child and escape unscathed. But there were no brakes. All Yvette could do was set off quickly and grab the handrail when the waves tried to knock her off. Figuring that bare feet were better than her flat-soled shoes, she slipped them off along with her socks and raincoat. She was already soaked and the waterproof fabric would drag as it billowed in the wind. Hold on.